Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 105. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we have Steve Snyder. Steve is a third-degree black belt under Hopsamora and currently owns and operates Tiger Rock Martial Arts in High Point, North Carolina. He shared the early days of his entrepreneurial career, implementing cross-training in the 90s, and my takeaway from the interview came when he talked about work-life balance, which inspired me to title the episode, Working to Live or Living to Work. Stick around for my final thoughts after the interview when I expand on the topic and share an audio with you. Stay tuned right after Jiu-Jitsu Tribe's message. Oos. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, formerly Live Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu Tribe supports social projects who offer free Jiu-Jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to pay for their monthly expenses and facility makeovers. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donate all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. For more information, please visit www.jujitsutribe.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Steve Snyder. Steve has earned several black belts in different martial arts and holds a third-degree black belt under Hobson Mora. He currently owns and operates Tiger Rock Martial Arts in High Point, North Carolina, where his primary focus is driven to guide students training while helping them achieve personal goals. Steve is also the protective tactics instructor for the High Point Police Department. Steve co-owns his academy with his wife and has two children. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you very much for having me, sir. I really appreciate being here. Yes, sir. We have uh, been in your place a few times. We'll have multiple conversations, so we're just recording another conversation we're going to have. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And as I was telling you earlier, I've got my pen and paper because I always feel like I'm going to learn something every time we talk. <laughs> it's all good. All right. So, man, just tell us how was your beginning in martial arts and then eventually how jiu-jitsu show up in your life? It was um, back in the day. I mean, I'm a little bit older now. I mean, and so it was uh, right after I got out of high school. I was in the military and some friends of mine were trying to get me in. We, we walked into a karate studio and then I started training. But then as I got shifted around in the military, I just kept on finding different places. So I never, I was going through these different traditional martial arts studios, but I never really got settled with one. And honestly, the, it was at 18 years old, you just wanted to know how to fight. There was no goals or anything else. It was just, Young, a lot of testosterone. I just want to know how to fight. But um, obviously, over time, that changed. When I um, got out of the military, then and I was when I was in college, I found a taekwondo studio that I, uh, some friends of mine, another set of friends of mine, were at, and started training there. Ended up over time becoming an instructor and working at that school, and so that sort of it. It was that one academy is what ended up setting off my course and my martial arts really in a formal traditional um, aspect. And then in 96, it was funny how life goes in 1996, as I'm finishing up school, um, the owner of the academy that I was working at, he had two academies, one in High Point and one in Greensboro. And he just came to me one night after class and he asked me if I was interested in taking over the High Point Academy. And I had no idea. I was like, I don't know. He said, well, I've got one or two choices. I figured I'm either going to close the academy because it's not financially doing well, or I can turn it over to you. You have 
And so as we talked, I told him I gave him, he gave me two days to think about it. And obviously my answer is now here where it's fruition. But then later on, um, you know, in my training, I met a guy in my, I was traveling and doing different, going through different seminars. I met a guy named Danny Drain, who I'm sure you know. And I, I don't know, Danny, um, I drew to Danny like a moth to a light bulb. Just really his passion in martial arts is what, and I said, look, I really want to do more training with you and started cross training with him. And then it was, I think, I can't remember if it's 97, 98 when Tony DePontis, he, he brought Tony in from mm -hmm. Vegas and then Tony came up and lived with him. And he said, look, you need to start training Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I absolutely had zero interest in doing any, I mean, I've done some Japanese Jiu Jitsu and stuff, but zero really had no interest in doing it. I was like, look, I kick and punch. I'm fine. And he said, no, this is what you need to do. This is the way you need to add to your cross training. And lo and behold, I listened to my coach, got on the mat, started doing it and still doing it to this day. You know, I, and after all my injuries, honestly, I feel like I can do more jujitsu than I can my kicking and punching a lot of times. So it's interesting how trusting in your coach and certain people that you may not know the path that you're going to go down, but they're going to lead you down a path that'll take you down forever. And, and grateful for that, man, it was something I did not want to do. I didn't care about it. Oh, all right, man, there's guys that grapple. That's okay. But that journey since then has been incredible, you know, for them. So we're talking about 1997, I think it was 97, 98. I can't remember your date. As I get older, my dates get a little harder to yeah. remember, but, um, that's obviously over 20 years. And so I couldn't imagine had I made a different choice and butted heads a little harder and then not done that. I don't know where I would be today. So it was fortunate for me that it wasn't something unlike some people that ran out and looked for it. I was sort of pushed into it. And so um, it was great. It was nice and because then I get to talk with guys like yourself and mm -hmm. so through that time period. And when do you start to implement in your school? Because first you start training and next thing, like, you know what? I'm going to start to implement classes and suddenly start to getting more momentum that people, you know, get to know more about jiu-jitsu. So how was for you to start to implement at one point, start to offering classes in jiu-jitsu? So it was <clears throat> at that time, make your mind, back in, the, back in the 90s, cross training was a new thing. So at, before then it was, if you did Taekwondo, you did Taekwondo. You did, and a lot of people nowadays don't realize that. You were, you were the demon child inside your art if you cross-trained. Mm -hmm. That you just don't, you stick with, you're unloyal to your craft. And, um, and obviously the UFC back in the day was what perpetuated a lot of those traditional mindsets to change. Um, so for me, I was, um, I didn't, and it was, I was, I was working with students, my own students, using them. I was traveling and training. The highest rank in North Carolina at that time was a blue belt. And I remember one of Hoist Gracie's guys, Greg Thompson, when he got his purple belt, we thought that was the coolest thing that mm -hmm. in our state, there was an actual purple belt here. So, um, and then especially when he got his black belt. So there wasn't a lot of jujitsu around the area. It was very hard to find. Um, the Brazilians weren't exactly jumping up and picking on the map to come to North Carolina for some reason, <laughs> but that's all right. But we, um, so when I started my program, um, once again, it was Danny Drain. He's like, look, you're at the stage now. The only way you can, you, if you really want to grow yourself, you're going to have to start offering a program. So you need to grow others to grow yourself. And I was hesitant because it was right around the time I just got my blue belt. I'm like, well, I, I don't know all that much. And he gave me some great piece of advice, which to this day I continue. He said, never teach what you don't know. Don't teach beyond your abilities. And just, you know, and work for the student, not for yourself. So it was, you know, help them along. And I was like, well, what do I teach in class? So he's like, just have them hip escape down the floor for one hour. That's all they need to know. You know, okay. And literally 
my first set of students, I mean, um, my first black belt, he'll tell you, he goes, dude, back in the day, if you rolled, that was a privilege. He goes, Snyder just had us do movement drills for an hour and then boom, you're done and go. Um, and I look back and that was really good times. And those guys, we just focused 100% because nobody really didn't have upper ranks on fundamentals. And that's all I really knew. So knowing the Baron Bowl or anything else like that, I mean, that stuff was just picked up in time and all these other terms and techniques. But it was, how do you, how do you make these simple guard sweeps work even better in details? But we started off that way. And um, then I expanded my facility to offer another floor. So I um, took over the facility next door to mine at that time and opened up a floor and started doing more and more classes for it. And it just, it was progress through that program. You had to mark by a calendar, not by a time clock, by all means. It was slow. The one thing though that I did find out is that the students in jujitsu stayed. My, my um, retention with jujitsu was very strong. So I didn't have a high level of attrition with it, which was nice is that the guys stayed. So we, we saw, we didn't see great growth, but we saw little, little growth, but it was growth over time. But it was exciting at the same time. But yeah, so we started that, I think it was 2000, 2001. It was right, yeah. I mean, um, I have to do, I have to do time clock by events. Now when I look back at dates, so I guess it was around the 9-11 time period, um, believe it or not. So that had been about, I guess it was about October, 2001. Wow, 19 years. Man, I just said my age, didn't I? That wasn't good. <laughs> now here's the thing, how, uh, when you took over the school, were you doing that full time or you had a regular job and you were doing both? Well, when I first took when I first took over the school, I was working. Um, actually, to pay my way through college, I was working at four different places. I was teaching. I was working part time teaching martial art classes. I was bartending at a place, and bouncing. And the only reason why I really worked in the bars was it worked around my class schedule, working at night. And so, when I started the school, I continued maintaining some of the jobs that I'm um, working in the bars, and the honestly the only reason why i stopped was it became a question of liability and mm -hmm. so if i had to do something at the bar that could potentially put my hands on somebody could put me in a potential legal lawsuit was that worth where i was with my business but it was so i did that up until about the time my daughter was born in 2003 and then i stopped working in the bars and Believe it or not, you know, when I, when I stopped doing that, I actually stopped, my business actually went up a little bit more because I was able to put more sleep and time. Mm -hmm. um, so my off time, I was, my recovery rest was important. But so I guess from 96 to about 2003, I still worked in a second job as one capacity or the other. There you go. And how was that transition of you just going all, just 100% 100% all in into your business well i mean in 96 it was all in because i mean i walked out and i mean i had i had nothing i had a little pickup truck that i paid 700 dollars for burn more gas and oil uh, my i was splitting rent in a house that was a and my rent was a hundred dollars a month and that's all i did and going off and um and so actually working in the bars was i was taking money from that and actually putting it into the academy so it was helping me to build things at the same time. It was, well, if I didn't have the money to buy a, some equipment, the bar was helping me do that. And then, but when I stopped working at the bars, it was, um, honestly, it was a breath of fresh air. And I didn't, and what was crazy is even with, cause I was married at the time, I didn't know what to do with my time on Friday and Saturday nights. Cause for over 10 years, I had been working in the bars on Friday and Saturday nights. So now all of a sudden I got Friday and Saturday nights open. It was a culture shock. Um, however, my wife certainly made sure that I knew what to do on those nights. And that was, we would go out and that's became our time together. So interestingly enough, sometimes you have to, you have to cut back some things. If you want your, it was, it's like a, 
double-edged sword. You got to cut back sometimes in your professional to improve your personal, which re in turn um, enhances your professional life. So because I'm now, instead of investing so much time just into making money, working at my, um, helping build my business, I'm now reinvesting um, time in my marriage and my personal life. And then I've become back more energized into my business. So it sort of plays that, that role back and forth. Yeah. So basically you're just starting to have kind of the initial taste of balance. Yeah. And I mean, it is, you got to, our most precious commodity is time. And there's a, there was a point I've known in my career where I would almost, where I felt like every bit of my time needed to be, it was so much focused on building the business, getting to the next level, getting next level. And that it was tilting and these, at these areas, bless you. And it was, it, it was years later that it was um, a guy named Jason Griffin, who, you know, I, um, I admire a lot and he's become my business coach. And, and so he really has guided me over the years and, and helped me understand how much it is where you, um, do you live to work or do you work to live? And does my business work for me or do I work for my business? And so I didn't get into running a martial, I, I love running a martial arts business, but I need that. I need to invest time in my family and other things as well. So it's, it's easy to have that path. And like you said, there's that balance. So finding balance in our life, um, when you start the, and it's, and it's hard, it's a constant struggle every day. You know, when do you leave work, when do you get up and when do you go to work and the, to find it. And one of the things that I know I've talked with you about is when you're at work, work on your work. So if I want to have more time in my personal, when I'm at work, I focus on things that pertain to my work. Most of my personal has got to be gone. And then at the same time, when I go, um, when I go to the beach, you know, it's time to turn off the phone. It's time to cut away work. Um, it's, it's time to focus on my family. It, it, so work on your work and work on your life. Um, I guess. And so I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to, I honestly, when, when I'm buried one day, I want to bounce the check. You know, I don't want to, I want to bounce my, you know, I, the last check I write, I want it to bounce. So I want to live it to the fullest extent because, and, and I want to do that with my family and everybody else around me. So I don't, but I enjoy what I do. I don't want to confuse that. But at the same time, I do it so that I can do these other things as well. And, it, and, I, and there was a big time in my life where I had forgotten that. And I needed to be reminded. And it was good that I have guys like Jason Griffin who have and continue to remind me that as I look at doing these other things in my business. I feel there are moments in our business that we, we catch a good momentum. There's maybe people that we meet, experience to go through, you know, we're going to... Uh, and one pace and suddenly we get a little booster and then we kind of go in and there's another boost. So I feel that the first boost that you say to get your business improving was meeting Jason. That would be your coach. Do you think that's the first kind of like when you see things improving, right? What are some of the, the game changers that you've seen along the way, some key moments along the way in your business? There were, there's different spikes that we we've gone through. And yeah. so, and definitely there's times when I went down. I mean, after the, all this time period, there are those things. And so it's, and the lessons you learn, you don't want to repeat the mistakes. And I'd like to say that I, just like in jujitsu, you know, I think that learning jujitsu is about learning a hundred way, ways of not doing it. You're doing it wrong. A hundred ways of not doing it wrong before you learn how to do it right. So you're going through, you're going up, oh, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. So, and you don't want to repeat that same mistake over and over again. So if I, um, there were different people in different, Jason was a big part at one where I, I focused on, he really helped me with understanding time, but 
the one thing, I guess, it was constantly trying to put certain people around me to help me remind me of what I, what I want to do and how I need to do it. And so at the times that I think I invested in listening more to um, other value people that, that I saw those spikes and that I, instead of trying to be the teacher, trying to be the student. And I think where I saw declines is where um, I saw me being more of the teacher and not the student. And so if I'm uh, a good mentor of my, mine, my wife's um, martial arts instructor, a guy named James Bailey, um, Mr. Bailey always says, he says, think it and ink it. But if you, but I add to that is it's like, well, if you want to think it and then you want to write it down, you got to take the moment to listen to what they're saying first. Mm -hmm. And so you hear these ideas, you hear what they're saying, then write it down and then form it into yours and how you work. So I think that the different spikes and looking back where I did well and I was successful was listening to people in more that were successful in certain areas of martial arts and just going all in with what they say. You know, if they're, if I trust what they're telling me then I don't want to contradict it, it's so easy to say and avoid the one word, but they go, well, this is what I think you need to do. And this is how you need to do it. And if I'm that guy that comes back and go, well, but then I'm not going all in and trusting what they say. So then why am I seeking your advice in the first place? And when I did that with certain people, like Danny Dream, I didn't, I didn't care. One, I didn't want to do jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu. He told me to do it. So the answer was, yes, sir, I did it. And now look at it. When he was talking to me about starting a Brazilian jiu-jitsu program at my school, I didn't go, well, but my question was how? And when I did that, that saw success. But when I look at times where I didn't do successful, it was when I put those things in there in my conversations, but and questioned it and do these things instead of saying, instead of looking at it in a positive aspect, how do you make that happen? How can I do that? And that's um, like I, I was telling you earlier, even during, the, during these troubled times, we've been shut down for four months. Uh, we're now looking, even though we've been shut down for four months, we're looking now to expand my business. And that came from your last interview with, the, Chris Sparks. Now, Chris Sparks is, um, he's my student, but he's a very smart guy in business. And when he tells me, he goes, look, this is how you can do it. He runs the numbers for me. Do it this way. I didn't, well, I'm, I'm confident it's going to be successful is I never looked at him and said, I can't, but what about this instead? So I asked Sparks, I go, how? Just tell me. And actually yesterday I was on the phone with him. What is the next thing I need to plan for? When I do those things, I see more success down the road. So I'm not trying to create a contract, um, I guess an argument with people mm. or trying to question their knowledge into that area. And if I'm going to do that, then why am I asking them in the first place? Why waste yeah. their time? You know? Mm. <laughs> and so, and so, as Tony Robbins says, uh, success leaves clues, you know, so you're just going to go around and seem like, well, let me, and I, at least you need to be open to analyze it. I feel like in, in a way it's like jujitsu. I, I, I see my game as like a big salad with a little bit of knowledge from everyone. It's not like this is the only person that I learned jujitsu. No, you learn, oh, I like this little detail here. Oh, this little hook here. I never thought about it. And you just start picking good things that you, you feel that is going to work for you. And in business, it would be the same thing. Maybe someone can give you one advice to you and then a third one, huh, that, that fits in pretty well. Not You don't have to accept everything everyone's saying. However, just be open. Let me see. Let me reevaluate. Uh, and of course, taking consideration someone that has been successful with something. So, of course, I'm going to pay even more attention. Now, what do you say, doing man, being running your business for so long, it's tough to pick one, but some of the most difficult struggles that you went through of like not knowing how to run a business in the beginning, right? It's not like you went to school for it. It's just, you just learn hitting your face in the wall multiple times like, like most people. 
So what are some of the struggles that come to your head, to your mind, and how did you, what did you learn from it? Here, here's the, the hardest thing that I dealt with in my business was the guy that I ended up buying this academy from. Now, he at that time was, we wore several hats with each other. I was a student in Taekwondo with him. I was, um, I was his, I was a business partner in owning this academy and buying it from him. And then we also owned another company together. So we had a, an organization that him, myself, and quite a few others had, had um, revamped and reorganized this other company. Is the hardest thing was when he completely turned against me and actually tried to shut me down. So, and it was, believe it or not, it was over me, my cross training. So he mm. was that traditionalist and he was all against it. He didn't like, he hated the fact that I trained with Joe Lewis and Bill Wallace and worked with those guys. He hated the fact that I did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He hated these things. He, he didn't like it that I was putting it in my academy. It didn't agree with him. So he ended up opening a school right down the road from me, which violated every agreement that we had. And it was, it was really hard. So I sold my stock in my company, the, the second company that we had. I didn't, I mean, I severed ties with him. So during that time period, it was a big mental struggle and it was a big turn. I had to change my name and my business and rebrand, try to rebrand myself. And so it was a big, big struggle. Whereas at the same time, it was somewhat nice to have the stress push off, but to have that betrayal from somebody that I was in business with, that I trusted, that we were doing these things. And it was almost like the whining kid that didn't get his way. But it did teach me to be a little bit more concerning about the people that I'm going to go in business with, the things that I'm going to do, and to be a little bit more cautious and try to there's a step, it'd be a little bit more easier. So when I took over the school, it was within 48 hours of being asked to do it. So yeah, that was a little quick to run. Um, I had trained with the guy, but he's an, as my, as my Taekwondo instructor, he was a good guy. Mm -hmm. But I come to find out as a business partner, that was a different story. So everybody has their different hats that they wear. And so I guess it comes into finding out how do they wear them. And so that was a big, big struggle for me. And I think that was around, it was around 2007. So the 2006, 2007 time period, um, if I look at my numbers, there was, a, there was a big dip right around that time period and dealing with that. And so being more concerning about the people that I'm going to work with. And that's why ending up with and talking more with guys like Jason Griffin, who now Jason Griffin, I would, I just, I've known him for a long, long time. I knew him as a friend, knew him as, things, knew him, um, as an associate, as a friend, but never really as a business mentor. And, I, and so the difference was, I guess I went to him. He didn't come to me. And so I went to him and started asking him for advice. And every bit of it has seemed to fortunately blossom for me. I mean, it, it's crazy when I see that I've got more time in my day and, um, and I'm making more money. Well, not the last couple of months, but that's different. Your former partner, how did his business go? I mean, did he go well with, with his martial arts? I mean, he's still around. He did. Yeah, he's still around. Um, it was, it was, there was nothing nice about it. I mean, it was like a divorce. And so, I mean, like a, he, he's a good martial arts instructor. I mean, he, I don't think he just had, um, I don't know if it's with others. Well, actually I do know it is with others. So I do know that people feel the same. That Sounds like an ego based decision. Yeah. No he, um, now I can tell you, I mean, he ended up, he was in Greensboro and then he ended up moving. So he ended up pretty much giving away his school to a student and then moving to another state. Um, so, and then restarting out there and 
I, I never understood why he did that. I never really cared because that was a couple of years after the severance of ours. And I don't know how he's doing. Um, really, it's sad. I really don't care because I, I don't wish him ill will. But then again, I'm not. Just grew apart. Yeah. And I mean, I've got other things to focus on. I've got exactly. that, whatever's in front of me. Focus on what's in front of me. That's my students, my associates, and, um, and my family. So instead of trying to research and look down there and until this conversation, honestly, I haven't even thought or talked about him in years really. So, hmm. um, but I can say that that was a, a tough time period. And so being more wary of the people that I'm going to do business, uh, I think in my mar- as a martial arts entrepreneur, you have to look at, I think they're having the instructor and having them as your business coach don't always have to be that way just because they're experienced and, and they do great in martial arts does not mean they're a good business coach. Mm-hmm. And so I do, I have my martial arts instructors and then I have my business coaches and they're not always the same name. And so um, it is. And I think that has helped me so that in time, I just, for me, it was just different. It was unfortunate that I went through that. I know a lot of other people that have better success stories, but that was our struggle. So I dealt with a personal struggle as well as a business struggle. And while I was dealing with that, it, um, it was hard to keep going, but I can say that, um, it did change me as in how I want to, how I look at that whenever I talk to other people about their business and other things, I do think about that in the back of my mind. I don't want to be that guy. I just, here, I, can, I'm, I don't want to give unsolicited advice, but when asked, I'll be, I'll be honest and forthright with you. You know, if you ask me no questions, I'll tell you no lies. And so, um, but I don't want to be that guy. And I think that helped me in my approach to people in business and in personal with that, how that relationship was dissolved, that I didn't want to repeat that again. Now, what are some of the big, game-changing concepts that you already mentioned a little bit about your your business coach that you could maybe share with people that entrepreneurs in general maybe they are martial arts entrepreneurs some of them are not but what are some of the over the years some of the pieces of devices that you got from piece of advice from uh jason okay jason right jason yeah jason griffin and so it's funny it's it's a every week. So every week, you know, I talk to him and one of the things that I like about a good coach, and this is what I, and I'm following this. So, um, a good martial arts coach, what I like in my martial arts mentors and coaches. And what I like in Jason is as a business coach, they're not going to tell me what I want to hear. They're going to tell me what I need to hear. So there's a lot of times it's great. man. I had these I had these fabulous ideas for my business and I call Jason. I tell him and he goes, Oh no, 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 you're not doing that. No, no, no. You need to leave that alone. And it really disappoints me because I thought I had this really great idea. I thought could do this. But then in time I look back and I go, Oh, he was right. Um, And so I think the biggest thing is, is that, Every, the one question he asked me, and, and honestly, after this interview, he, I know when I talk to him, he's going to ask me the same thing. Every time I go to a seminar, every time, he asked me this one thing, what was your biggest takeaway? So what did you get away from that? What did you gain from that? And I think, and what I've, what I've figured out over time listening to him is, was it worth your time? If you didn't have a takeaway from it, then why are you working to what are you doing you know how is that it doesn't matter if it's if you're going to do something for personal what was your takeaway if you're going to go to the beach what was your biggest takeaway well my biggest takeaway was the time that i got to spend with my kids and that we did this it's got to be something everything in life whatever you do has got to have a takeaway from it for you to bring you somewhere else because and he's and he constantly tells me your time your time. How are you spending your time? Time is a precious commodity. You know, if, if you're, um, I guess it was a long time ago, I had a fitness coach. Um, 
and I was working two hours. I was working out two hours a day in the gym. And he goes, if you're, if you can't get your workout in in one hour, then you're doing too much. You should be able to, with your fitness workout in the gym, you should be able to do it within an hour. Now this is way before the CrossFit and everything, but, um, but Jason says the same thing. If you're not getting it done in this time period, then you're obviously doing too much. You need to get better organized and structured in the way you're doing things, which honestly, you, we put it down into jujitsu the same way. Um, I watch some of my younger guys training and it's the difference between the maturity of an older guy and a younger guy. And I see some of these younger guys, extremely talented athletic ability. I would love to have half of what they have right now. And they're dancing all around people, but they left three or four submissions open. You know, well, why did you go through all that when you should have just gotten here and, and, and the more master division people, they see it and they go, man, I don't have time to be doing all that. I need to just get to the point and make it happen. So I think that maturity and even so maturity as a business owner with Jason's helped me learn is being efficient with my time and where I'm going. And so that I think every little piece that he throws at me is about that. You know, how are you efficient? Well, if you went and did this, why? What did you get out of it during your day? Did you get something back from it? And it's not always a monetary. You, you learn something personal. It helped um, me in the community and my image, whatever it is. I need to have a good takeaway from whatever I do. There you go. Now, what do you say is one, one high-performance habit that you have? Something that you do daily? Could it be something very simple, but you feel that helps you in everything? In your personal, business, jiu-jitsu? What do you think? Are you talking about like a habit? You're saying, yeah. Well, and when I say a habit, could it be simple? I I have answers like sleep, which is important. Saying like, hey, I used to mess mess up a lot my sleep, and then I start to fix my habit of having the proper amount of hours to sleep. That's a good habit. So it could be that simple. Could it be reading? Could it be whatever you want? Yeah, I think. Um, well, I know that each day when I come in, it's, and it's, it's funny because I'm going to bring up your um, BJJ mental coach. And so you, you talk about um, playing the good movie in your head before mm -hmm. you come in. And so I, I think a lot of my, I, 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 I've taken that somewhat into business. And I think like when I'm driving to work, I'm playing a mental role in my head of what I'm going to do for the day. Nice. And when I go into, when I go into even just training on the mat, I'm, I'm playing roles in my head of, and even teaching. So I think um, that's one of the things of, I think that I got from your BJD mental coach is playing more, playing more positive mental movies in my head as I go into situations, what is it we're going to do? So, um, the mental rehearsal, the same. Yeah, the mental rehearsal in the thing. So, what? okay, here's my day. As I'm driving to work, I, I'm not, I mean, I got the radio on, but I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go to work. We're going to do this. We're going to make this happen. We're going to make this happen. And so what it's doing is it's motivating and pumping me up. Okay, we're going to get this. So when I walk in, um, I like um, that, thank God it's Monday, you know, that, that attitude. Um, and so every day should be that way. But when I, when I do that, I think it puts out the dark demons that you can easily get to. And especially during the last couple of months, it's been really easy for that. Cause I can, it's funny. I, I don't come into work that way, but there's times when dealing with being told I'm shut down, I vent and I'm like, that's it. And it's okay to get mad. But when I come back and so before I go into class, I'm playing these roles in my head. I never really thought about my habits until you brought that up. And so coming to think about that, I'm like, you know, I do that. I was doing that yesterday. I went up to Virginia to one of my um, associates up there. We did a workout. And while we're driving up there, I'm thinking about, okay, this is what we're going to do when we get on the mat. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to work on. So I'm doing this little mental rehearsal just in my daily activities. Um, interesting. I never thought about that till you brought it up. I mean, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. So now see, and I'm writing my notes down as we're talking. Um, <laughs> so we, uh, in, in the intro, I mentioned that you're, 
third degree black belt under Hobson yes. Mora, one, one of my best personal friends. And man, how has been the experience of all these years with him? Maybe some of like, maybe share some of the piece of advice that you got from him, maybe on and off the mat. He's a guy that came from very humble beginnings, you know what I mean, to become a successful entrepreneur and athlete. So just tell me a little bit more about uh, your relationship with them. It's funny. Um, I guess it's having known him for so long. Um, you, you know you have a pretty good relationship with somebody when you piss them off. And so <laughs> I like to say, That's you know, true. there's times where I really pissed off Hobson, you know, and I know that <laughs> because he's hung up the phone with me and we've done that. And I'm like, oh, well, we got that relationship now. You know what I mean? We can go back. Um, if not that I went set out to do it, Hobson, every, now I remember the first time that I met Hobson and at that time was after Tony had been not allowed back in the United States, Hobson came and did a seminar at Danny Dreams Academy. And, and for us, I remember that first seminar with him. He didn't speak any English and I still pick on him to this day because he was wearing that red gear with the black lapel. Yep. And, and I said, oh, and, um we had never seen jujitsu like that before. I mean, now for people listening right now, this was a day of VHS. If even people remember that those three letters together. Mm -hmm. um, so internet really was prevalent at that time period. So we had never, and I never experienced that. I remember um, a friend of mine, Willie McLaughlin, we were, going we were going to lunch and he was like well what did he do to you and i was like i have no idea i just and i just just happened and i was like me too and so we it was and danny was driving and he was just staring down the road and we we're like man are you okay and he goes that little man just beat the crap out of every one of my students and he had pro fighters at the time and he was like what was that and i went i have no idea so and, and I just always remember that about Hobson is that, you know, when it comes to him is that he opened my eyes to a lot of things, but when everybody talks about Hobson, that's the first thing they, they do. They, they know about his extreme athleticism and the things that he accomplished in jujitsu. Um, what I, and, and as much as I appreciate that, not, and not to take away what, from what he's accomplished in jujitsu, because I think there's a lot of people that have accomplished a lot of things in martial arts and in life. And there, and there are a lot of athletes that have crossed a lot of things, accomplished a lot of things. What I think finds Hobson unique is his story and his story of what he's come from. And that's what I, I look at him the most and I look and I admire the most about him is knowing how he came out of Teresopolis, how he did, and then how he came to the U S and then people don't, only a, not a lot of people, but a few people know the struggles that he had when he first came to the U.S. with his first school and then how it came down to there. Then when he got down to Tampa um, and building himself up. But the whole time, now I know there's everybody has those times where they're, yeah. Hobson never, never complained really. It was, and his outlook on life was always positive. It was, they, it, I guess, in a way, he never said it, but you could see that he things could be worse. No matter what struggles came in front of him, it was always so. And he's always, man, it's like in jujitsu, he, he's always trying to find a new thing. But heck, I was just on the phone with him yesterday about a different business venture that he's looking at. So mm -hmm. even he's not, he's constantly trying to find the new things. Where can I go next? Instead of getting complacent. So there's no complacency with the man. And I think those are the things that I admire the most about him. And it makes it better for me to listen to him about his jiu-jitsu as an instructor, knowing how he is just in life and as a person in general. But I think he's way better of a person than he is in his jiu-jitsu. And if people know that history about him, you come to a great appreciation. It's really hard to complain about things in front of him, knowing what he's what he has overcome and he's come to. You're like, oh, well, I've had these struggles. No, he's got a trump card out there for you, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of guys that do, but it's interesting. They're the ones that are the most positive. And his outlook on life is that he's always, I mean, he's everybody's friend. I mean, he comes in, he's always, 
and that's where everybody immediately loves him because he's the nice guy. And <laughs> so, you know, I was told this phrase a long time ago, you can never go wrong by being nice. And he lives that example. I, I think it's very hard to find a bad word. You can, a harsh word you can ever say about him. You know, he loves jujitsu, loves people we've been around with. He loves um, just how everything goes. He's a very emotional person. Um, and it's because he has a love for a lot of people in life. And that's a great thing. And so for me, I, I, as a finding him as a coach, I embrace that more than his skill set. And so I think that's a great thing for him. And I love about it. That's awesome, man. If you have to go back when, let's say when you, when you took over the school, when you're young, if you could go back and have a conversation with the younger Steve and say, hey, buddy, I'm coming back here from the future to give you a few tips here. You know, what would you tell him? Not that you want anything different because it's part of the journey, <laughs> but what is the one thing that could tell him? <laughs> like, pull a chair, bud. We got a lot of uh, no, I mean, yeah, to talk. You can do that, but um, yeah, I mean, like I said, there's a lot of things, but honestly, all of Mistakes are life lessons. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, they're life lessons. And so I, I don't think I would be where I am today. And I'm absolutely I'm not the richest guy in the world, but I can say that I have, but I am very wealthy with my relationships and a lot of things that I've done and, and so and people that I'm with. But if I went back, I think the biggest thing that when I first started my business, it happened so quickly, I didn't really have a plan for me. I, so, um, like you talk about your vision, what was the vision of my business? Really? I jumped into it and I said, Oh, this is the opportunity I get to do. I get to do what I love and I get to do it for a career. And the part and then my business partner at the time now buying the business from, I sort of trusted him to help tell me where the business needed to go, but that's okay. But I didn't have my own vision. So for many years, there wasn't a real vision on my business. I was coming in, just living a life and motivated and excited to teach and it worked out well. But it comes back to that whole thing. If you plan, if you, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So I didn't have a, I had a, I had a, a simple plan each day, go to work, you know, get people to sign up teach good classes, go home and then go to the next job. But it was, once again, I go back and I remember, um, and this was before I really used Jason as a mentor, as a business coach. He had asked me um, a, long a long time ago, he said, where do you plan on your business being in five years? Where do you plan on it being in 10 years? And I think that's what opened my eyes. It's like, wait a minute. Hmm. And it was embarrassing for me to look. And this was back in the early 2000s. I went, I don't know. And I think that's what started to bring me that I needed to start really making a plan. Um, I was 26 when I started, started my school. And man, 26 to 50 goes really, really fast. And you blink your eyes. So if you're not making, if you're not planning for the future, now those plans can alter, but you need to have a plan. It's like going into competition, as you say. You have to have a plan. If you don't have a plan and going into anything, you're going to fail. And so, and now that plan may change and you got to be able to adapt on the fly. But I think that that's what I was supposed to go back and do. I think when I came over, I would have sat down with a business advisor and then helped me develop a vision and a plan for my business. Um, so that was probably the biggest thing. Nice. Along with countless others. <laughs> now what did you say some of the most impactful books that you've read of course come in different moments of your life sometimes a business one a personal development i don't know just maybe a book that comes to your mind that made an okay. impact on you interestingly enough okay um i knew you were gonna ask this question so i, I thought about it just there's not really one book i guess there was a book that when i first started the business that the guy that i bought the business from he said you need to read this book and for some reason, I always seem to revert back to it at a lot of times. Um, it's a book by Charles Gibbons called Wealth Without Risk. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. What's the name? Wealth? Wealth Without Risk. Mm, never heard. And it's, 
it's interesting. It, 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 the book talks about like the erroneous, the erroneous spending of money, you know, and he just talks about how to be personally wealthful, wealthy, because we just waste money. And I think people not understanding um, interest rates and how they affect you. You know, they go open a credit card. Oh, it's a 9% credit card versus a 4%. They don't know. And this is where your money's getting wasted over time. And I just had, I just talked to my own son about it. And I said, you really need to read this book. But that was one in my business. Um, another personal one that I, that I came to love is the one by Adam McRaven, Make Your Own Bed. Mm. Um, you know what I'm talking about? No, I never read. He's the admiral that gave that speech. He was Navy SEAL admiral. And he said, you know, he was, he talked about how SEAL training plays into day to life. And one of the biggest things was he said, each morning you wake up, make your bed because that is, that's your first accomplishment of the day. You have already accomplished something and that's the easiest thing to do. But, and then he talks about how you go through all the day. When you, you, when you come home, you come home to a made bed. So your first accomplishment is going to be the thing that helps you finish with a day. And he talks about these things. So it's good on a personal level when you start to think about the little things you do in life. And, um, but now, and, and it's crazy. And I don't, without getting into the whole um, debate, it, it was funny that um, the one thing you talk about books and it's crazy. And I'm not a big, I'm not the best Christian out there. Um, but I put, but I, I go to church and I do find it interesting that every Sunday when I go to church, somehow or another, the minister seems to be touching into talking about things that I've had to deal with that week. And so it helps me on that. And so, um, and I can say that Jason Griffin has been a big part of that and my wife and they're both, and my wife can read scripture and recite it. I never was, but honestly, so the more I go back to the Bible, it's interesting how there's always these things for personal and professional as I, as I learn how to be a better Christian and do these things. So I'm not the guy that can stand up and speak about how to be a good Christian, but I do know that every time I do read this book and every time I do listen to people talk about this book, I find really good answers and the help about it. So I think that's one of the better books um, overall for me, believe it or not. And, and it took several other people over time to help me find that. I was never the, now granted, I will tell you, I, I did come from a Catholic school. You know, I, I had nuns who used to paddle me. So I don't know if they paddled that out of me or not, but, um, <laughs> and I can tell you, man, if I see a nun to this day, I, I get scared. I'll, I'll turn it the other way, you know, um, but it is interesting though that, that that is the one book and and guys like Jason Griffin and my wife are two people that have, that constantly come back and they try to correct me and remind me of these little things and believe it or not I, I don't know I look around and I see people that follow into those guidelines and they and they believe more in their in their faith or whatever their faith is and they follow into it you do see them as more successful and when I say success it's not by the money they make but how they're happier in life their, their their family life is doing good their business life is doing well and so they have that balance somewhere so i'm i'm, I'm still a big student into this and try to figure it out and try to but i do know as as i study and do those things they do make it a little bit better um right on we'll see how it goes in the next couple of years Right on. So we're getting close to the end of the interview. Yes, so for people who are listening for the first time, usually I do my best to after the interview. Remember, we talk about the takeaway. I try to get my takeaway. And from the interview, I reflect on and create a, an audio and the content from five to 12 minutes with a hope of inspiring, inspiring, impact and improve your life in some way. So I will reflect on the interview and come up with something so tough times run out for everyone however uh i know that you're making some moves to expand your academy so i was gonna say what you're currently excited about i mean that's something to be excited at the same time kind of like it's a gutsy movie like you know a, a move i'm gonna go right now it's a rough time but you're you're believing and you're going for it and it's good so what are you excited about 
honestly, what I'm excited, I'm excited about a lot of things right now. I mean, my, my kids are doing well. So that's, so I'm excited about that. Um, Things are just, they're not good. Things are bad on the outside, but like talking about like without Hobson, they could be a lot worse. So I'm excited that even during this pandemic and the government shutting me down for for four months, one thing I'm excited about is I'm still in business. I'm still here. I'm not, I haven't gone anywhere. And I would, if you ask me this, this last year, get ready to shut down your business for four months and you're going to have to survive. Um, I think I would have freaked out a lot. And so it just sort of surprisingly, so I guess I'm more excited about the fact that I'm still in business. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not doing what I was four months ago, but I still have that opportunity to get there. And as long as my business isn't shut down, as long as still things are still afloat, I have that opportunity. And I want to believe that as long as I have the opportunity, then I'll make it happen. So I guess that's the biggest excitement. Um, Absolutely. And I'm still have, and I still have my relationships with people and, and being able to talk the opportunity to talk with you. So I think opportunity of is the simple word right now for me to be excited about just there's opportunities instead of looking at the naysay, I can't do this. I can't do that. I have the opportunity to expand my business. I'll do it. I have the opportunity to talk with other people now, spend more time talking to them. So take advantage of that. So I think that's probably about the most exciting thing. And right on, man. So reflection can be, so there is positive that can come from negative. We just have to find it. Yes. And I agree 100%. One of the things that, uh, the word that comes to my mind lately, a kind of a lot is gratitude because since, you know, I came from Brazil and I, and I follow what's going on in Brazil too. And if it's bad for the United States, imagine a third world country. So, you know, so Brazil, it's like, man, that's, things are not going too well, you know? So I'm very grateful that again, the same as you, you know, if I have to think about it, hey, next next uh, year going to be like three, four months without, you know, running your business, be like, uh, say what? <laughs> you know, so and, and we, you know, we're making it, you know, what I mean? it's going to be tough, but this too shall pass as long as we keep moving and just sitting and crying about is not going to do anything, you know, so it's like, all right, what can we do? Let's move. Let's move. Let's keep moving. And eventually we overcome this. We will. Yeah. And I, I mean, like you said, I, but obviously, um, well, I've been following a lot with what's going on in Brazil too, as well, because of Dennis being here working. Well, he's not quite working for me yet as we work on the visa, but he is here and we're trying to make that move for him in the past year. And so in following with everything going back there in Brazil, but I can tell you that every time I go to Brazil and when I come back, it is, it's disappointing when I come into the United States. It really is because when I'm down in Brazil, you would think that, that people down in Brazil don't have a lot compared to what Americans do, mm-hmm. but their attitude towards it's completely opposite. It's more, it's always a positive mindset with everybody. They're happy. There, there's not a lot of, complaining about what others are doing to them they're just they're just living life and they're happy so it's almost like kids and it can be disheartening so i do think that when people look at okay this pandemic is hurting our business right now they do need to look at how it is affecting other people and you know what um i do know like dennis's schools down there in um, maninga have been shut down yeah. And he's been working a lot of times and they were open for just a very short period and then they're shut down again. And their restrictions are even more so than ours. And so for him trying to keep those schools open, but he's still positive. Now, man, it's disappointing, you know, and it and it's a lot of work. But even listening to him talking about his guys down there, they're still very optimistic. They're not they're not complaining about the government. They're not complaining about everything. They're just trying to see what they need to do. to go next. So 
it's a very um it is it is refreshing every time i do go to brazil and it is eye-opening um and that's why i try to tell like my son all the time it's like you just really need to see mm-hmm. how others are living just make sure you know that you know you see how others are living then maybe you appreciate a little more about what you do have so quit complaining about what you don't have and start just you know praising and and, and accepting what you do and then embracing that so absolutely it is a Perfect. big thing and that's one thing i do find enjoyable about every time i go down there people just enjoy for what they have <laughs> yeah so steve thank you so much for the interview man i appreciate your time but uh, thank you so much for the honor to be here i've listened to a lot of these podcasts and i can tell you every time i listen to one of your speakers and you guys i take down notes i at least i always have at least one or two takeaways from each one so appreciate the opportunity for me to be a part of this and and thanks to the other people that you keep on bringing on and, and then sharing their information awesome so for all the listeners stick around for my final thoughts who's Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with Steve Snyder, a third-degree black belt under Hobsomora. If you're listening just to the final thoughts on Instagram, at Gustavo Dantas BJJ, Steve currently owns and operates Tiger Rock Martial Arts in High Point, North Carolina. He is also the protective tactics instructor for the High Point Police Department. I had the opportunity to visit Tiger Rock many times, and Steve and his team do a great job, very professional. He shared the early days of his entrepreneurial career, implementing cross-training in the 90s, and my takeaway from the interview came when he talked about work-life balance, working to live or living to work, which inspired me to title the episode the same. Right before creating these final thoughts, I talked with my son Jonathan, who's turning 20 this week. He moved back to Brazil a few months ago to attend college. He still doesn't really know what he wants, and it's totally fine and understandable. I told him, Jonathan... You need to have balance in between your intrinsic and the extrinsic motivation. Both are necessary. The balance of enjoying what you do, the intrinsic part, and the extrinsic, the financial compensation, the outcome, to live the lifestyle you want to live. Some people end up focusing heavily on the extrinsic motivation, which can bring the financial success. There's nothing wrong with that. The most common problem is when the intrinsic motivation is not there. The person is doing something that they can't stand anymore and they wish they were doing something else. That can lead to working to live. However, excessive intrinsic and extrinsic can lead to trouble as well, which I've been caught in before leading to living to work out of balance. I grew up watching my single mom raise two boys with no help. I understood the meaning of work ethic. It took me a long time to understand the workaholic pattern that I adopted from my mom. I used to grind many hours of the day, sleep late, wake up early. I got caught in a vicious cycle. Even though I was doing something I like, I had my ambitions. I couldn't stop. I was living to work with no balance. I did not spend quality time I should with my family and friends. It cost me relationships, and I also battled with insomnia. For many years, I used to take sleeping medication. I'm not proud of anything I'm sharing, but I did the best I could with the emotional maturity I had. You did the best you could with the emotional maturity you had until now. If we knew better, we'd have done better. People have different perceptions about the meaning of the expression work-life balance, and you need to figure out what works for you. To wrap it up, I'm going to share with you three-minute audio from the YouTube channel Prince EA titled Working to Live or Living to Work. I hope this message can inspire, impact, and or improve your life in some way and you can achieve the work-life balance you desire. Check it out. I read a study yesterday. It said that last year, more than half of us actually chose not to take our full vacations from our jobs. Question. Don't you think it's crazy that so many of us go into work even when we don't need to be there? Times we could be on the beach buried in sand or traveling the earth. We spend it in the office, traveling from desk to desk, buried in paperwork. See, in this chaotic world, everything goes so fast. We're so busy, seems like everyone's middle name is multitask. But now, now before you go and act all holier than thou, how many extra tabs do you have open on your computer right now? 
See, we all need time to get away from the race for our family, friends, for the sake of our mental state. Time to rewind, recharge, and reconnect. Not reporting to the office on emails that should be on redirect. Because life, ladies and gentlemen, is all about moments. No one in history has ever been able to hold on to one. Not a single soul. And you never get them back. See? There one goes. No do-over, no rewind, no DVD root menu to skip to a previous scene. Ask yourself, how many trips did you almost take? How many sights have you almost seen? How many moments have you lost thinking about the next one? Thinking that once you get this or get there, maybe that will be the best one. Life has taught me that all we will ever have is now. But let me be perfectly clear. I'm not saying to quit your job. Even though I know you deserve a six-month vacation twice a year, but how about small steps, short trips, with long dances, no distractions, spend time with family instead of co-workers, meditation instead of aggravation, replace our screensavers with sunrises, palm pilots with palm trees, jam copy machines with... Man, I really hate jam copy machines. The most precious thing we have in life are moments. Let's make the most of them before they disappear. Let's see the world while we still can and cherish those while they're still here. Because when our lives are almost over, it won't matter how much money we made or hours we worked or times we got employee of the month. What we will look back on are the memories we made, the hours we spent with those we loved and were we father of the month, mother of the year, friend of a lifetime. Holidays should be a time where we go away and come together. From now on, let's take our whole vacation and be fully present, creating memories that will last forever. you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, but the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.